Well, how good was it be to be back in the corporate worship setting? Want to put your hands together for our worship team and band. Thank you, team, for leading us. All of you online, I hope it's as engaging as it's always been for everyone joining us in that fashion as well. Before I jump into the message, I want to draw our attention to pray for one of our families, Jay and Tina Venard. I don't think Jay and Tina are here this morning. I think they're joining us online. So uh, the Venard family have been a part of Eagle for many years. Um, Jay and Tina lost their 37-year-old son this past week, Brandon. So Brandon Bernard, his memorial service is this afternoon at uh, 4.30. Would appreciate your prayers for that time. But if you could just be praying for Jay and Tina and their family. Um, Brandon had been battling a number of health issues, uh, none of them COVID-related, so let's be clear on that. It's not a COVID-related situation. He'd been battling a lot of other health situations. They certainly didn't think he was at death's doorstep. So just the suddenness, and uh, obviously he's so young, um, so... If you could just be lifting uh, them up, and uh, when Jay and Tina are back with us, uh, be welcoming uh, them back with compassion and empathy for theirs. So Jay and Tina, we love you, we're thinking of you, and we're praying for the memorial service. Visitations this afternoon and service as well up in Frankfurt. Okay, if you have a Bible with you, turn First First Peter chapter 2, First Peter chapter 2, and you can get your message notes. Like I said, the QR code, online host will get you those online as well. We're starting a series today. Uh, I've entitled, We. We're going to talk about who we are as the people of God and what God has called us to be about as His people. And Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, we, notice the first line is, but you, but. So his contrast is back from verse 7 and 8. It's those who say no to Jesus, those who stiff-arm Jesus, those who've said, you know what? I'm going another way. I'm not going Jesus' way. Peter's now contrasting from the those who said no to Jesus, but now here's what's true of us who've said yes to Jesus. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Four things there. Chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, people belonging to God. That, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So I want to focus on two things in the front half of that passage and then one thing in the back half. The first declaration is that we are a chosen. Did you see that word chosen people there? Circle that in your Bibles. It reminded me in elementary school when I was growing up, do you remember back in elementary school, back in my days, which like the 70s and 80s, they actually had like these things at recess kids where they would, they would go to like recess and you'd play kickball or dodgeball or volleyball or football. Whatever the game was at recess, they would appoint two captains. And there would be, I don't know how the captains got picked. The captains tended to be the best players out there. And they didn't want to put the two best players on the same team. So the two best players became captains. And then they picked the rest of their squad. Well, kids, when you were built like me, so picture me like in the fourth grade. I know, it's not a good image, kind of let your mind go there. I was just, I wasn't in the top half of the draft picks ever. I was always in the bottom half. I wasn't the fastest kid. Uh, I certainly wasn't the most coordinated kid. I definitely wasn't the strongest kid. So I was always in the back half, kind of towards the end of getting picked. Until Dino Williams' birthday party. Dino Williams was the kid 
in our school that was like light years ahead of every other child developmentally, physically. Like he was just bigger, stronger, faster, more coordinated. No matter what the sport was, Dino Williams was the best at it. All of them. And then Dino had a birthday party, and he decided his birthday party was going to be at a bowling alley. Well, I kind of came to life. Because ever since I was like this high, my parents kind of put a bowling ball in my hands, and I was scooting a bowling ball down the lane like really young. And so I got pretty good at it pretty young. And word kind of got out amongst the elementary crowd that, hey, this skinny kid named Eric... He can bowl. Like, he, he can actually bowl. I would bowl like every Saturday morning in a league. Mom and dad would take me there. And, and dad and I we used to do father and son tournaments. And so I'd be bowling. It got to the point, church, where I got my own bag. So I got this out of the archives up in the crawl space. Look, I got my own bag. Can you see what's on the? Look, I got my name engraved on my own bowling bag. How sweet was that? No mocking. No judgy looks through your mask right now. Just kind of soak it in, right? Look at that. I mean, I got your own bag. And, and look, I even, have, I even have bags for my shoes. Did you know that there are bags for bowling shoes? Huh? How about that? See, why do you need a bag for the bowling shoes? It just protects the surface from the elements. So you got bowling shoes. And then, you know, of course, you got to have your own ball. And of course, anybody who knows me, well, I have way too many bowling balls. Ask Kendra about how many bowling balls we've had through the years. And she makes me purge them now. I've just got them up in the crawl space now. But you get your own bowling ball that's like size just for you, right? So when you get your own bowling ball, look, they put like padded rubber tips inside of them, right? Like this, their fingertip grip. And it just fits your hand perfectly, Right here, right? And a skinny kid like me could throw a 16-pound ball. Like, how do you throw a 16-pound ball? Because if you get the ball size just right for you, right? And then there's a guy like Luke Mathis. Luke, are you here? The Mathis family's probably here. Like, Luke, he's had like, like I don't know, 2,300 games. So you want to talk bowling with someone in the congregation, talk to Luke Mathis. Like, he's crazy good at this sport. But anyway, I got, I got invited to Dino Williams' birthday party. And I roll in with my bowling bag, with my name on it, my own. And Dino Williams had told all his friends all week long how he was going to set up his party. He had a big old group of guys come. And of course, Dino was one of the captains of the team. And then he appointed another captain. And he didn't appoint me as the other captain. Why? Because he'd already decided. So the birthday party at the bowling alley, everybody's together. Dino's standing up on the lane. And he stands up. He's like a foot taller than all of us, too. He's like, says, I pick Eric. I mean, church, I grew a chest hair like right then and there. I mean, just a chest hair just popped out right there. I mean, I just, I, that was 40 years ago. 40 years ago, and I still remember it like it was yesterday. I remember the day when Dino said, I pick you. Church, do you know in Jesus, that's what Peter's trying to say in 1 Peter 2? He says in 1 Peter 2, in Jesus, God says, I pick you. I pick you to set my love upon you. Let that sink in for a moment, church. God has chosen you to set his love upon you. I hope we never get tired of hearing that. You are an object of God's love. He chose you in Jesus to set his love on you. 
And in that choosing, do you see how now our identity becomes grounded in more of an us, we, and together thing? We have an individuality as a person marked with the Imago Dei, but we're made in the image of a God who is community, who's trinity. There's a, there's a threeness in His oneness. And so in this community, we're made to really discover the fullness of who we are in relationship with the chosen people of God. Like there's something about our individuality finding full expression in community and finding ourselves this. We are a chosen people that God has set his love upon. I will. Thank you. So great to have that back in the sanctuary. So I've, I've missed that. I've just imagined you guys might say the X on the back wall is what the congregation's been the whole time over the last 19 weeks. So I've imagined that like when I was laughing, were any of you laughing with me? I was just kind of laughing at myself. I'd be like laughing. and I'm like, boy, I wonder if anybody else is laughing right now. But I want you to see now that the, the grace that's involved in the choosing, that God doesn't set his love upon us based on who we are and what we bring to the table. Do you see that it's the character of God to set his love upon his people? Like it's the character of who God is, not the character of who we are. It doesn't matter what family environment you've been raised in. It doesn't matter what church environment you've been a part of. It doesn't matter what your kind of spiritual resume looks like or doesn't look like. It doesn't matter what talent, skills, or abilities you have. None of that stuff matters when this, that God says, I choose you and I choose you to set my love upon you. It's based on his character. And the Bible word for that is grace. Listen to how Paul David Tripp, I put this quote in your notes because I thought it was so helpful. He's speaking now about God, kind of picture God speaking this over you and me. You may never experience human success, but you're mine. You may be living in a broken body that restricts your physical existence on this world, but you're mine. You may be living in situations of trouble because you live in a fallen world, but you're mine. You may not be surrounded by an affirming group of friends, but you're mine. You may not have a string of accomplishments behind you, but you're mine. You're mine. You're mine. I've taken you as my own. You're mine. That's it, church. I just want you to just kind of internalize this truth that as you walk in the doors of this sanctuary or you're joining us from your couch or your car or your bedroom, that if you've said yes to Jesus, God says, you're my chosen people and I set my love upon you. Not based upon what you bring to the relationship, based upon his character and his heart to choose and to adopt and to save and to redeem and to restore that you're a loved person of God. Chosen. I pick you. And then chosen, now add the phrase royal priesthood. So a chosen people and a royal priesthood. Now, that's not common North American language. If we were in England, those of you who grew up in those circles, you know that royalty and the way royalty works are much more common culturally. So royal priest literally meant in service to the king. And priesthood meant that the priests were the ones in charge with like mediating the presence of God with the people of God. The priesthood if you were a Jewish mind hearing Peter's words being called a royal priesthood, you would just be, you'd be taking your breath away. You'd be like, that can't be, Peter. It would hearken back to when Jesus was crucified and he said, it is finished. 
And do you remember how the Gospels record the moment Jesus, when he died on the cross and he breathed his last? Do you remember how the Scriptures record the veil of the temple was torn in two? What's the significance of that? Because there was this space called the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant rested, where the presence of God would dwell. So the most holy place embodied the presence of God. The the issue was this, only one person, only once a year, and only with the right parameters could go into the most holy place. You couldn't just roll into the presence of God. If you rolled into the presence of God without the right person and without the right blood at the wrong time, you dropped over dead. That's why they tied a bell around you with a rope, because they had people just dying in the most holy place, and they had to get them out. They couldn't get them out because they couldn't go in there and get them out because they'd drop over dead. It was a challenging issue, right? There's like, hey, there's somebody dead back there. You want to be the first one to go get him? They tied a rope around him. When the bell stopped ringing, you better pull on the rope and drag him out. So when Jesus died, the veil of the temple was torn in two. The Jewish leaders, they like ran and scurried. They ran away. Why? Because the presence of God, they were exposed to what was formerly only one person, the high priest, only once a year and only with the appropriate blood. So now in Jesus' name, do you know why the book of Hebrews says Jesus is our great high priest whose blood sacrifice is sufficient for all people at all times in all ways? That means this, church, that means any day, any time, any moment, any one of us in Jesus' name covered with his blood can enter the presence of God and not drop over dead. Aren't you grateful for that? That you get to, so here's the declaration. Peter says you're a chosen people. You're chosen as an object of his love. He sets his love on you. And you're a royal priesthood. You're a people who've been invited in to the presence of God to live in and with the very presence of God that dwelt in the Shekinah glory, the Ark of the Covenant, behind the most holy place. That presence of God. And I would argue, church, there's something deep down in all of us. We're made for an encounter with that presence. And this is perhaps when God's people have not been able to physically gather like this for an extended period of time. Here's here's one of the things we most miss. We miss the manifest presence of God when the people of God get together. You know, there's something distinct about when God's people get together. The distinctness isn't that we have great songs and when the worship team does a good job or you hear a good message or you connect with good friends. You know, all those things are important and good, but the distinctive isn't just a person-to-person thing when God's people get together. Do you know that at its core, it's not just a person-to-person, it's a person-and-God thing. That when God's people get together in Jesus' name, God says, He dwells, His presence is here. And it's an encounter with the presence of God that happens when the people of God gather in the house of God for the glory of God. It's an encounter with the presence of God. And I think there's been a longing inside of us. We've kind of missed that element. It's not that the presence of God can't meet with us online, can't meet with us in our homes and in our cars. Yes, it can happen that way, but there's just something distinct. There's something, there's kind of a a finishing element of it that's missing when the gathered people of God aren't able to be together. I want you to think of it this way. It's the difference between omnipresence and manifest presence. Omnipresence is this. God is everywhere. He's everywhere all the time. That's why the fisherman who says to me, well, Eric, I don't need to go to church. I'm just going to go to the lake, get in my fishing boat, and meet with God on Sunday morning. You can do that. And the omnipresence of God, you can worship God out there in your fishing boat, on the water. Yes, but here's what you're missing. 
the missing element. You miss the unique manifest presence of God when His people get together. And this is what happens when, like some of you wonder when you come to church, you go, why am I so emotional at times in church? Some of you say, I just can't stop crying at times in church. You know, that's manifest presence of God. Or a certain song is sung, and just the peace of God washes over your heart. And you can't quite put words to it that the kind of the weightiness that you walked in with and the anxiety that was so strong around your heart early, it's just kind of, it's just kind of lifted. What is it? Presence of God. Or that when you exit a worship gathering, you just know that like sitting at lunch on Sunday after church, you just know like some things are just a little bit different in here than it was Sunday morning when you woke up. What's the difference? It was this. It's what Peter says, that you're a chosen people, chosen for God to set his love upon you, and you're a royal priesthood in this, that Jesus is our high priest, his blood sacrifice made a way completely sufficient for us to enter the holy of holies, and what our heart is really thirsting for, what it's really longing for is an encounter with the presence of God. There's nothing like the presence of God. There's nothing like it. It's way more important than that promotion at work you think is going to satisfy or that relationship you hope works out or that experience that you've got on the calendar. Way more significant, what your heart is most deeply thirsting for is a genuine encounter with the presence of God most high. And we as his people are a gathered people marked with that presence. That's what distinguishes our get-togethers from any other get-togethers and social gatherings. Yes, we're so, yes, we connect together. Yes, we enjoy song. Yes, we hear a message. Yes, we read scripture, all of that. But at the core of it is, it's God's presence dwelling with his people. So this is who we are. And then he puts a so that on it. So we're a chosen people that he sets his love upon. And we're a royal priesthood who get to live with and in the presence of God for the glory of God. And then the so that, the back half of the verse says what? So that you may declare his praises. The praises of him who brought you out of darkness into his, some of your translations say, marvelous light, into his glorious light, into his wondrous light. That's why we're here. So what am I here? What's the so that in all of it? You're chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You belong to God. So that what? This is why when you say yes to Jesus, he doesn't just zap you to go to heaven. You're not just yes to Jesus and then you go to glory. Why? He's got something for you to do here. What's the so that? So that you might declare the praises of him who plucked you out of darkness and brought you into his glorious light. That's what we get to do. We get to shine a light. I put in your notes what the word declare means. It means ex angeleo. It means to fully proclaim. I put it in your notes this way. It means to completely announce, ex angeleo, to declare. So here's what we're to do. We're a chosen people. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We belong to God. So we work the muscles from now until we hit the grave of ex angeleo. We do this. We declare. We announce completely. In 2020 language, it would be we go to TikTok, we go to Instagram, we go to Facebook, we go from the work setting to the ball fields, we go to the neighborhoods, to people who know us well, to people who don't know us well, and we proclaim this, that I was once in darkness, but now I'm in the light because of God's glorious grace. We declare it. We magnify it. We radiate. That's what we're doing. 
We shout it. And when the gathered people of God get together, that's what fuels our worship songs and our scripture readings and our messages. That there's a, this is why it's called a worship service. That we do what 1 Peter 2.9 says. This is what the gathered people of God do. We are a chosen people that He set His love upon. And we're a royal priesthood that gets to live with and in the presence of God for the glory of God. So that what? So that we can declare ex angeleo, His glorious, glorious life that He plucked us out of darkness and set us in the light. His marvelous light. That's what we're doing. So worship team, come on back up. One final story, and then we'll wrap up. So it was eight days ago. I had the privilege of participating in a baptism service uh, for a mother and a daughter. Here's a picture of Andrea Marvel, the daughter, and Grace Witte, the mother. Backstory on this is Andrea had received a doctor's appointment that was routine, turned into not so routine about two weeks ago. And I think Andrea is joining us online. Andrea, our thoughts and prayers are with you. And Andrea received this news from her doctor that no one ever wants to hear, and that's the, the phrase, you have cancer. And that thrust her into, obviously, only those of you who've been on the receiving end of that news know the waves of emotion and the thoughts that race in the mind and the sleepless nights that follow and all those things. Well, in the midst of all of that, Andrea, being a follower of Jesus, began to seek God and to call out to God. And through the course of the next few days, she came to the conclusion that she said, I know Jesus wants me to get baptized. She met with her doctors. They figured out a surgery plan, a treatment plan. Once the surgery date was set, her daughter, Andrea's daughter, Abby, so Brad and Abby worship here. They've been here with their kiddos uh, for a year, couple years. And so Brad, Abby called me and said, Mom would like to get baptized before surgery. And so we'll, we'll get it set up. Well, in the course of Andrea getting the family together, her 97-year-old mother said to her, I want to get baptized with you. 97. So when Abby called, I said, yes, I want to go over to the house. I went over to the house last Friday, a week ago Friday, and I just got to spend some time with Abby and Andrea and Grace. And it was a really precious, meaningful time. Thank you so much for sharing your stories and your words that you shared with me. And I just wrote down, after leaving that hour at their house, I wrote down a couple of phrases from Grace Witte, age 97, and what she said about this decision. I just wanted to hear more of the backstory, what was leading her to the step of baptism, and then Andrea's decision as well. So here's what Grace said. Grace said, it's time for me to put Jesus first. And that's what baptism means to me. I'm putting Jesus Christ first in my life, she said. And she turned to me and she said, you think I'm ready? 97. She said it's about total commitment. And then she said this to me. She said, Eric, I've been wondering why God's kept me alive. Why am I still here? And she said, now I think I know. He's got more for me to do. He wants me to share my story. At 97. 
So last Saturday, a week ago Saturday, we went over to New Hope Church. Thanks to New Hope Church and their hospitality. Uh, they have a baptism tank that's always full of water, and the water is always warm over there. And their pastor and their staff were so gracious to host us. They had about 30 or so friends and family invited to come, and we gathered over there. And one of the friends is a pastor in the family. He drove all the way from Waco, Texas, he and his wife, got in their car and drove the whole way to be a part of the baptism service for an hour, to go to the airport, to get on an airplane, to fly back, to lead the church the next Sunday morning down in Waco. So here's the scene last Saturday morning. That's Kip, the pastor from Waco there in the tank. take a look at those faces. It's never too late for surrender. Even at 97. It's never too late for surrender. I think someone's listening today and you're tuned in today just to hear that line. It's never too late. And today's the day. It's time to put Jesus first. Whether that's age 9, 59, or 97, it's time to put Jesus first. And he's got more for us to do. Because we're a chosen people. He set his love upon us. Ask Grace Woody. It wasn't about what she brought to us. She just kept talking about how God just never gives up on her. God just kept pursuing her. How it's God's grace that just overwhelms. And she gets down into those waters and the tears just started flowing. And then the emotion that was welling up between Andrea and her. And just to see both of them plunged into the waters to say, it's about putting Jesus first. It's never too late for surrender. A chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. So that what? That's who we are. That's the we right there. We get to declare his praise who plucked us out of darkness and set us in his glorious light. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for Andrea and Grace. And we, we just collectively unite our hearts for Andrea's journey with her health. We pray for healing for her. We pray as she recovers from her surgery that she would sense Emmanuel God with her, even this moment right now. We thank you for her testimony. We thank you for Grace's testimony. We thank you for their willingness to get into the waters, to share their stories, to gather their friends and family together. What a beautiful image. Thank you for their declaration that it's time to put Jesus first. Thank you, what a great reminder, it's never too late for surrender. So God, maybe there's someone listening today and maybe today's your day to say, you know what? I'm going to join Grace Whitty and say, it's time to put Jesus first. All you got to do is call out to him, say, Jesus, I surrender. I surrender all, all of me to all of you. Here's my heart, here's my life, it's all yours. I surrender. I want to put, your, put you first. I ask you to help me by the Holy Spirit. Just call out to him right where you are. Say, Jesus, I surrender. 
God, thank you for setting your love upon us. Thank you for inviting us into your presence. Thank you for giving us the privilege of declaring ex angeleo your praise that you would take us from darkness and set us in your marvelous light. We pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen.